Hello and welcome, my friend, to the second episode of season two of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. It's so great to have you here with us today for the second episode. And if you are listening to this one without listening to the first one, I highly recommend to listen to them at all in order or just make sure to catch them all. But if Seed Saving is uh, Seed Savers Exchange is your bag, then absolutely stay here and check out this great episode. So really excited to have John Reynolds from Seed Savers Exchange here. And it was just a wonderful conversation about what's going on and trending in the seed world this year, because as we know, everything is all funky in the supply chain. And we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about what you need to be doing now and what we can expect in the future. And if you like this episode, please make sure to run over wherever you listen to podcasts and give it a rating and make sure to give us a really great review. We'd love to have it because it helps other folks find the podcast. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe because we've got another season in the works right now that will come out June 1st of 22 and maybe a couple bonus episodes between now and then. So here is John Reynolds with Seed Savers Exchange. All right, my friends, hello and welcome to the second episode of the second season of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast. And so as you know, we are putting these podcasts into seasons now and make sure that you hop back to the first episode if you haven't listened to that one yet, because we're going to touch on a few things from that here today. And I am absolutely honored to have another great guest with us today. We have John Reynolds, who is the director of sales and business. And John and his family have purchased Seed Savers Exchange Seeds since 2010 for his raised bed urban gardens and is responsible for sales and business operations of the Seed House at Heritage Farm and brings a wealth of digital marketing and e-commerce experience from his time in New York City. And so John Reynolds from Seed Savers, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you very much for having me, Brad. So today, John, we're going to talk with our listeners about trends in gardening. And so what you are seeing from Seed Savers perspective of what changes are happening, what people are requesting, where things are going in the seed world. But first, will you talk about the incredible, the incredible Seed Savers exchange and what you guys do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Seed Savers Exchange is a nonprofit organization, and our, our mission is to preserve and steward rare and heirloom varieties of North American garden crops. So we steward a collection of 30,000 different accessions. Accession could be, there may be multiple accessions of a single variety. Uh, for example, we might have, you know, several sessions of, of an empress bean that were donated by families or, or home growers from you know a long period of time throughout the, the country. Of the 30,000 or so different sessions that we have in our collection, we make a subset of around 650 of those varieties available more broadly through our, our catalog and through our website. So the the mission here at Seed Savers Exchange is to engage the public in the stewardship of, of rare and heirloom varieties of, of our heritage garden crops and uh, meet customers or, and meet people where they're at in their own gardening and seed saving journey and, and, and you know, do the work of, of continuing legacies of, of our heritage, heritage garden crops. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. And I want to also make note that you have one of the easily one of the prettiest catalogs of anybody around. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous catalog that everyone should make sure to uh, check out and look at there. And so, John, in the last episode, we talked uh, with Dreams of Wild Health about seed rematriation and, and pulling uh, indigenous seeds back in. And you guys are doing a lot of work with that at Seed Saver Exchange and have been having a couple of series about that. So what kind of impetus 
Why are you guys working on that type of work? Is there demand in the gardening community for it or where, where are things coming from and why is that important to you? It fits really well with the mission of Seed Savers Exchange. You know, I think there is uh, historically been uh, a focus at Seed Savers Exchange of varieties that, that may have made it over on steamships from, from the old world to the new world. But a part of the North American heritage seed crops also includes indigenous peoples and those stories have been up underrepresented historically. So it's a it's a big priority of Seed Savers Exchange to to bring those stories and bring those traditions forward and connect not only the broader public with them, but but reconnect indigenous communities with their the heritage crops that they had, had stewarded for generations in the new world. So I think it's, it's very complementary to our mission and it's something that we're very excited and proud to be taking a, a, a greater focus on in the work that we continue to do here at Heritage Farm. Yeah, it's absolutely an awesome thing and, and hopefully a harbinger of what good types of things are happening all throughout the industry of recognizing where we've been and where we're going and, and figure that all together. And so what other trends are you seeing in the seed industry and just gardening in general that impacts how you guys are working and where you're going? Well, it's it's been a, uh, a very interesting two years uh, since the beginning of the, the pandemic. There's been estimates of near 85 million new people entering the gardening hobby since the beginning of the pandemic, and that certainly has translated into you know that broad that broad interest is, is definitely translated into interest in, in seed savers in general, and we've seen just a, a ballooning demand that has been really sustained since. February and March of 2020 and continues through this day. So that broad interest in, in gardening in general, we're excited at Seed Savers as, uh, as, as an entry point. You know, I mentioned a little earlier, wanting to meet people where they are in their own gardening journey. And, and we hope to cast a broad net and be able to provide uh, new gardeners or experienced gardeners with the seeds that they need to, to start their own garden. And from them, we, we hope to steward relationships and I hope people will continue to grow their interest in, in gardening as a hobby and, and take on seed saving as part of their own interest. And whether or not they come with us all the way to being customers through the catalog, to seed stewards themselves, to maybe even potentially you know members of our exchange network of, of seed stewards that exchange their own variety of seeds amongst themselves, we think that that growing demand is is just a starting point because it has sustained and hopefully as you know there's there's brighter days ahead and the pandemic hopefully is, is winding down that many of the people who have found gardening as a respite in in very turbulent times will continue to do so and not only garden but you know find you know other parts of their journey whether it's it's canning and preservation or or seed stewardship itself that that huge demand in gardening in general, we, we are very optimistic about it, it being a, a, a long-term trend and not just a salve on the very difficult <laughs> and pandemic times. Right. And that's a perfect uh, point of discussion there is that this entire season of the Minnesota Gardening Podcast is about our next – is about – those newer gardeners and how, how they can continue their journey in gardening and help make the world a better place, growing their own food and all those things. And we have upcoming episodes on planting that garden and preservation and canning. Well, what kinds of ideas are you seeing? Are those folks that started just in March of 2020, are they continuing to grow their gardens or have people dropped off now that we're like you say, hopefully toward the end of this whole COVID experience that we've been through in the pandemic, where are, where are those people and how are they doing? 
That's a really good question, and I think there's still uh, a lot of, of research and, and, and speaking to people that we could do to get a better answer. But the trends that we're seeing early on were in purchasing behavior and, and interest in gardening. With, with so many new people to the space, I think there was all different levels of familiarity with what the needs were. So in the early stages of the pandemic, when demand shot up like a rocket, we saw a lot of maybe what could be considered panic buying or maybe just inexperienced buying in terms of buying large quantities of seeds. You know, somebody who was never a customer of ours before, we were seeing orders for, you know, uh, 15 pounds of bean. Now, those people with urban addresses that are getting 15 pounds of bean are probably might not be making that decision with the experience <laughs> of, of what they actually need to garden. So we've seen a, a decrease in, in volume in terms of the, the quantity of seeds ordered, but the number of customers has, has remained high and has decreased, you know, uh, two years into the pandemic, less so than the, the volume of what was being purchased. So I think you know, that is, you know, one way of looking at that, that data is, is understanding that, you know, the overbuying behavior, whether it was, you know, from a, a run on the market of seeds to panic buying to just inexperience, the number of customers has, has, has reduced at a lower rate than the, the volume is. So it, it does seem to be a sticky hobby, at least amongst people who have were gardening before the pandemic and, and among a, a huge swath of the population that have found gardening as, uh, as a new hobby in, in the past couple of years. That's really great. And what are, what does Seed Savers Exchange do to help those newer gardeners succeed? Are there training programs that you have or is there, how does that work from your guys' perspective to help them stick with gardening and be lifelong customers? It's a really good question. In spring of 2020, we, our, our marketing department worked on a, a video series of, of starting seeds and starting transplants and beginner gardening that we, we published through YouTube and is still available. That was a great method for you know, trying to meet people where they're at in terms of new gardeners and just the basics of whether it was raised bed gardening or container gardening or starting seeds. And then for, as an organization, we've been, you know, putting material out, you know, through our website, through our exchange, through the seed garden and, and seed titles are our books that we've published that have a host of information on seed saving itself, because that is, you know, our, our mission first and foremost is the stewardship and the propagation of heirloom varieties of seed. So we have a wealth of information available through our, our public YouTube page, through our website, through 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 titles that we've published for the pres preservation of, of seeds and the stewardship of them. So with seed saving and, and you guys as a seed company here, it takes multiple years to get enough seed for different things that are more, I don't want to say fad, but things that become more popular. And it takes a while to get that all through and the availability of those seeds to be there. So what kinds of things are you seeing as trends that are this year for our people buying things that are different this year than they have in past years? Or what are you seeing that's interesting in people's seed buying habits so far in 22? Yeah, that's a really good question. And there is continued interest, you know, the, the top 10 varieties that, that, that our customers gravitate to even before the pandemic, our black beauty zucchini squash, our dragon carrot, our Amish snap pea. Those things continue to, to be of the, the, the most, uh, the varieties that, that people are most interested in. But what we find interesting every year is, I had mentioned at the, the, the beginning of our interview that we steward a, a collection of, uh, of 30,000 different varieties or so. Each, each year we introduce to the catalog 
you know, uh, between 10 and a dozen varieties that we, we bring out of the collection. And, and you're right to say it's a, it's a multi-year process to scale up the, those seeds and to clean them up from, from any disease uh, issues they may have or from, you know, just to, just to bring them up to a scale where they can be supported in the catalog. And it's always interesting to find, you know, that those varieties creep into the uh, top 50 or so different offerings that we have available. For example, this year, Dr. Culver's asparagus has sold, has been something that we brought out of the catalog, or sorry, brought out of the collection into the catalog this year. And, you know, to this point this year, we've already sold a thousand packets uh, and we're just, you know, barely into our, our busy part of the season yet. So it, it's, it's great to be able to take these varieties that have been stewarded by, you know, small hobbyists or, or people and, and that, that were so special to them that they wanted to, you know, bring them into our seed bank and then to be able to introduce them to, you know, a much broader audience. And then to have that audience connect with those varieties is, is something that is really heartening and, and we see it every year. And, you know, the asparagus that we introduced this year is, is just one example of, of those things that, that's recent. And, and it's, it's great to see, you know, a broader audience really respond to those things. I am seeing on Instagram, so this is very insulated in my my captive folks that I see or let Facebook's let me see on Instagram that I'm seeing a trend in the folks that I interact with toward more flowers and more zinnias and more dahlias and, and those types of things. Are you guys seeing anything like that, that, that cut flower gardening is becoming more of a trend uh, this year, or is that not playing out in what you guys are selling? No, certainly so. And it's it surprised me too, because a lot of the thought when we you know saw initial boom in, in demand for seeds was an interest in, in garden crops, tomatoes obviously being a popular heirloom crop type, but cucumbers, squash, so on and so forth. But no, flowers were continued to be something that we were surprised to see. There was you know an equal rise in demand to to garden crops as there were for, for flowers. And zinnias remained to be you know a popular item. We we have binary giant zinnia mix that's a, a very popular or most popular flower seed that we offer so much so that currently we're working on a project to, to create our own seed savers mix different zinnias that perform well here on on heritage farm and in because there's been such an interest in in, in zinnias and cut flowers in general it, it's you know led us to create our own mix that we're currently in the process of, of spinning up as we speak yeah, I'm getting more cut flowers this year for our garden as well. Cause I think people just need more joy in their lives right now. Mm -hmm. Everything's kind of, kind of a mess in certain places and, but just being happy is a much better thing. So that's, that's really great. So now switch a little gears here on us. What kinds of things that you guys provide from seed safe exchange and just seed companies in general? What kinds of issues are gardeners facing? today and you're hearing from your customers as to getting started with seeds, are there shortages of things? Where where are people at with that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, my mind jumps immediately to the climate change and the impacts of that. You know, thinking to some of the other things I was preparing for for our conversation, you know, what might what what varieties might do do well in in, you know, zones 3 and 4 where where most of I believe your listenership is is located. Questions like that, you know, become a little harder to answer given climate change has, you know, made it much more difficult to, you know, know what we're going to expect from from our climate zone. You know, this this year we had a uh, you know, a very again 
again, another unusual growing season. We had a very late frost and then a, a very hot and dry June, and then a more traditional September, or sorry, more traditional July and August, but then we had an early fall and, and that, that really wreaked havoc on, you know, some of the, the productions that we did here on Heritage Farm, our, our long season peppers, which we can, you know, normally, you know, a steward here in, in northern Iowa, where, where our headquarters is located, the long season peppers, you know, they, they didn't get to maturity enough and, and didn't produce, you know, viable germinating seeds. So that I think is a big challenge in, in general and, you know, impacts so many things in so many different ways. But, you know, it, it's, it, it impacts us here and on Heritage Farm and, and everyone because it, degree, it, it adds a, a degree of uncertainty to what traditionally we could understand as, you know, crops that would do well where we're located. So in, in terms of that, you know, we, we focus on what we can do well. You know, that's one area that we're responding to. And, you know, we, you know, have through our network of, of retail partners uh, throughout the country and in many locations in, in Minnesota and in Iowa, where we have our, our seed rack programs, we, we provide kits, you know, for the, the seed rack programs that have varieties that we've selected that would do well in, in, in zones three and zones four. And, you know, those things are, are going to be populated more with shorter season peppers and maybe lettuces and and arugula mixes, things that are early season, you know, that, 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 that are harvested early in the season. But even those, again, to bring it back to, to climate change, you know, our lettuces this year, since we had such a hot and dry June, there was, uh, they, they bolted <laughs> most of our lettuces on site here at Heritage Farm, you bolted pretty quickly and, and we missed in many cases, <laughs> you know, lettuce and arugula that we would expect to be bringing home to our, our, our dinner tables uh, just went from, you know, small starts to, you know, bolting lettuce in you know, a, a short amount of time due to the hot, dry June that we had had. So, yeah, the question is, what are the challenges? I, I think climate change uh, jumps to the top of that list. Yeah, June of 21 was absolutely brutal it was uh it was no good so that is uh that's interesting i didn't really think about that having such a big impact on your seeds and so what what kinds of issues are our customers facing are there like keep hearing about like seed shortages and equipment shortages and things i haven't experienced any of that myself but are you seeing that across the industry at all or uh, you guys personally are where where are things with people purchasing this uh, episode is released in march march 1st of 20 so it's a little hard to tell uh, a couple months out as to exactly where that will be. But what what are you seeing as of today in your experience? Yeah, you know, we have seen less of issues with seed sh shortages themselves, although that was has been, you know, a, a growing concern or, or a growing point of uh, an area of emphasis. But it's it's the other parts of the supply chain that have actually been maybe more challenging than any specific seed shortage itself, especially if we think back to spring of 2020. Our issue more was not with a shortage on seeds, even though the demand was, was uh, skyrocketing. We, we had the seeds, but we didn't have the the packets to pack the seed in and that was a that was a big that was a bigger challenge actually you know distributing the seeds so you know in the early wake we we started we have beautifully designed packets you had mentioned our beautifully designed catalog we have beautifully designed packets but in response to the surging demand and and our um unexpected need for for packets we were uh packing in, in unmarked you know plain generic envelope seeds to just get it out to people. And we've since kind of responded to that and made sure that we corrected that mistake and had, you know, more 
see packets on hand than we, we re could ever realistically use as, as a response. But other parts of the supply chain continue to be a problem. You know, there's paper shortages and cardboard shortages, and those things tend to be more challenging than actually, you know, running out of seed. It's the seed itself. We, we have, you know, sufficient inventory. There's always going to be things that are crop failures that we run out of. But, you know, I think the story of the pandemic and shortages is more around the other areas of the supply chain, less around, you know, the viability or the, the amount of seed that we have. Right. And so with that, I like I've been having issues finding a light. I need new seed starting light. And I, that's it. They're either uh, like $100 more uh, than what I want to spend on it uh, for the ones that I wanted, or they just simply aren't available. So we'll see how that rolls forward. And so as we're talking about our climate, and so we're most of our listeners are anywhere between zones three, four, five, and some in zone six as well. But what are some from Seed Savers perspective, some underused seeds that people really should be looking at in our areas just to try some new things this year. You know, thinking back on some of the other parts of the conversation that we have, my mind jumps to, you know, short season peppers as as things that, you know, can do well here, even though we've had some some challenges with long season peppers and, you know, our king of the north pepper and, and jalapeno traveler pepper and, and 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 many of our herbs are all things that, you know, will have short enough seasons, you know, you know, between you know, 60 and 70 days to maturity for, for some of the things that I mentioned. And, and also, you know, fits in well with one of my favorite things to do is is, is canning and making salsa and, and canning it so that, you know, when I look out my back window right now at the, you know, my snowed over frosted garden, you know, I still have the sensory rush of the the, the peppers that I pulled out of my garden. You know, I, I, I can smell and, and taste, you know, those, those, those memories from this past summer. So, I wouldn't necessarily say that those are underused varieties, but those are things that, you know, jump to mind that are, you know, might not, you know, be the first thing on anyone's mind when they think about gardening in, in zones three and four. But, you know, personally, and I think here at Seed Savers, when we're exchanging, you know, homemade salsa or tomato sauces, you know, that's, you know, one of the most fun parts of gardening because our, our window is so small here, but we can extend that window at least in in our sensory appreciation of, of gardening by extending the season in the forms of being able to enjoy the benefits of the harvest in, in you know, months far removed from, from when we actually made the harvest. And I'm seeing a lot more folks than I've ever seen before this winter growing things like microgreens and uh, indoor mm -hmm. herbs. And I have a friend here in Shakari who is, is growing uh, bok choy this winter under lights and uh, different things like that. Are you seeing more winter gardening happening? Is that you guys can accommodate? For sure. Yeah. And we hear a lot of that too. You know, my own, my own father during the pandemic, you know, not only got into, you know, indoor gardening and, and staging herbs, but he got into woodworking as well. So made his own herb stage and then, you know, located that in a south facing window and and has his herbs set up on on there so it's certainly a trend so is a trend of you know urban gardening and container gardening we've seen a lot more interest in our uh, of books that we offer on on both of those topics there's been a lot of interest and demand there and it speaks to again you know the 85 new million people that have found gardening as a hobby you know seem to have found it across the spectrum whether they're using container pots in their, you know, patio in their backyard or whether they're, you know, tilling over lawn and, and creating their own gardens in their backyard. There's been a, a whole lot of interest and certainly some of that applies to, you know, indoor growing and container growing. 
as we look at the end of our gardening season, so we're we're starting here in March with having the plan put together and the seeds that we need for starting, whether that's starting in the ground, whether that's starting uh, under lights earlier in the season. What do people need to think about, John, when they're thinking about the end of the season and saving their own seeds? How does how does that work? And we'll we'll get into it more as it goes into the future. But are there things that people need to be thinking about this spring when it comes to saving seeds? That's a good question, and I think you know most of the considerations around seed saving and, and there's different methods you know for dry you know, for for saving seeds through dry processing or, or wet processing. But the good news is, is, you know, early in the season, if you're, you, you don't have to put in too much consideration into the seed saving itself. If it's important uh, to your seed savings needs to not have cross-pollination, you know, if you have, if you want to save seeds and then of, of your jalapeno traveler pepper, then having another pepper, you know, within the same garden or within an area where they can cross-pollinate would be one consideration. Distancing or, or you know, other methods of uh, preventing cross-pollination. But if you have less of an interest in, in keeping your uh, varieties true to type and you're, you know, interested in seeing, you know, what, you know, what might be produced by having two pole beans coming up next to each other and, you know, you know, crossing your rattlesnake snap pole bean with your provider bean and, and seeing what that ends up looking like in the future, then, then you have uh, less of a consideration around, you know, how you're planting those two things early in the season. Most of the, the, the seed saving considerations, like you had said, you think more of that back in into the fall and closer to harvest when you're making decisions on when 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 the the plant has come to maturity ideal for for saving seeds and let's actually dive into that a little bit more on the the spring side of things so if you look at your catalog the bottom of your the front cover of the catalog says uh, open pollinated untreated non-hybrid non-gmo seeds and i think that's all a beautiful thing and how does the open pollination work as you're growing seeds at a, at a larger facility like yours or in the the home garden as to let's take your your rattlesnake beans pole beans for example do you guys grow them all in one area and then all the different varieties of pole beans are separated by I don't know, 50 yards or whatever that number may be. But then how does that translate to what home gardeners should be doing and planning out their garden? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And not all of the seeds that we steward here at Heritage Farm are, are grown here on Heritage Farm. We have a, uh, a strong and growing network of contract growers around the country. And that's particularly important when we talk about open pollination and keeping varieties true to type. We here in Iowa have crop corn, you know, in all directions around us, which is presents challenges when we try to steward corn grow outs or, or on, on, on site here at Heritage Farm. And that's really where our network of contract growers throughout the country can be, you know, of help. We have, you know, contract growers in, you know, the southwest of the United States that are, uh, you know, have where, where there's less of a, where there's more of a corn desert, I would say, and, and gives us an opportunity to have physical distance between <laughs> between productions of corn as to not cross up different varieties, but it's just not possible to the same extent here in, in Northeast Iowa, where we're, we're surrounded on all sides by corn. 
And so how does, how does a homeowner handle that then? Is it just separate if they want to, like I have ordered rattlesnake pole beans this year, if I want to save those seeds, which I obviously will be doing, but how, if I want to grow rattlesnake in the future, is there anything specific that we should do? I need to keep them a certain uh, distance away from each other. How, how should a home gardener look at that or should they even care? If they, it's, 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 if, it's something important to, to keep the, the true to type then. Each each crop type is going to have different distances where cross-pollination could potentially happen. So for, for corn, that, that area is going to be, you know, you know up to a mile, whereas, you know, our tomato might have a, you might be able to keep them more closely together. Resources on distances are, you know, available, you know, online through, through our website and, and through some of the titles that we uh, publish, Seed to Seed and the Seed Garden would have, you know, much greater advice than I could probably get into in, in much finer detail than then, then this interview would maybe present an opportunity to. So the resources available through our publications and through the website for specifics on, you know, crop by crop, what uh, best practices are for avoidance of, of cross-pollination. Perfect. And we'll link to all that in the show notes for uh, this season's episode. So people will be able to find those. And then one last question I've got for you, John, you mentioned earlier about the Seed Savers Exchange members. Is is that something that just anybody can go into? What are what are the benefits? What are the we don't need to get into costs because I'm sure that that will change over time. But what what do members what does Seed Saver Exchange member do? Yeah, so uh, membership is a great way to interact with the Seed Savers Exchange mission. You know, benefits of membership include access to the Members Growing Clubs, which is a network of members who will grow out similar varieties throughout the country and have an opportunity to share amongst themselves their their, their experiences. And, and, you know, the same variety will, will, will end up looking in, in, in different zones throughout the country. Membership also includes access to our, our quarterly publication, the Heritage Farm Companion, which uh, will contain stories of the work that Seed Savers Exchange is doing here on Heritage Farm or the partnerships that we're stewarding with members and growers and, and seed stewards throughout the country. So membership, uh, you know, those are, are two of the big benefits, but membership is, is an absolutely fantastic way to interact and take part in the Seed Savers Exchange mission, regardless of where you are or regardless of your own ability to garden. Wonderful. Well, John Reynolds from Seed Saver Exchange, thank you so much for being with us. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that uh, you wanted to share with everyone today? No, I would say this was uh, very productive. I really appreciate your time and the opportunity to come here and, and share a little bit about Seed Savers Exchange. If you are interested in starting your garden this year or, or potentially looking into varieties that uh, you're not familiar with, I think the Seed Savers catalog is a great start. But we also have an exchange where you can network with other enthusiasts and, and seed seed advocates throughout the country and, and find a whole host of different varieties um, that are really niche or really broad. So Seed Savers Exchange is, is a great organization to come to regardless of where you are in your own gardening journey and, and learn a little more or, or, or broaden that journey to include other things that will, will deepen your interest. And what's the website for that, John? It is seedsaversexchange.org. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, John. I appreciate it and have a wonderful rest of your day. Brad, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it too. Hey, real quick, my friend, before we go here, pretend you are in your garden this summer. The sun is shining. It's glorious out blue sky, some puffy white clouds. It's solid 82 degrees, which is my favorite 
temperature, but it's nice and warm. You're getting some great things done out in the garden and you somehow you grab onto this weed that you don't really know what it is. And within a couple of minutes, your hand gets a little rashy and you start to itch and you just don't know what exactly is going on. It's probably nothing, but you don't know. It might be something. And so you, you run over, uh, grab your phone and you Google plant rash, whatever you, whatever you go. And all the answers that come up are that, you know, you may be dying of cancer. You may be, uh, whatever, all these worst case scenarios and WebMD tells you some terrible things. You're going to have to be amputated. And Google gives you all these different answers and it's just confusing and overwhelming and terrible. And well, that's what everything is like when you ask questions about gardening on the internet. So you go onto Google, you get 800 different answers. You go onto a Facebook group, you get 800 different opinions, and most of them are snarky about what you should be doing. And it's not really a great way to learn about gardening. But I've got an option for you today. The Minnesota Gardening Club is open for new members. This is the way we support the podcast and everything that's going on here at Minnesota Gardening. And it's just 10 bucks a month. And the Minnesota Gardening Club is just an awesome, awesome experience. And I've gotten a lot of great feedback from it. And a lot of people who are doing really well, especially newer gardeners and people who want to learn more about ecology and landscape. And it's really, really great. So it's a gardening club for busy people. It's 100% online. And with the gardening club, we help you stay on task on top of your weekly gardening tasks. And that may be within fruit and vegetable gardening. We also cover landscape. We cover sustainable lawn care and then learning garden plants and just different things. And so every member gets a free course. And so it's a foundations course to help you level of base knowledge about gardening and landscape. So it's really great for new homeowners. It's really great for people who just want to get involved in more gardening or want to build more of a gardening community because it's a bunch of great folks who want to work together and support each other. We've got one-on-one coaching with me, a 30-minute garden goal-setting session with me, and you get 50% off of all of our courses and products as they come out exclusively for Minnesota Gardening Club members. So just head to minnesotagardening.com and on the main menu, you'll see Minnesota Gardening Club and you can click there and you can join right now. The price will go up for the Minnesota Gardening Club, the monthly price. Right now it's 10 bucks and the month and the price will go up after the first week that this uh, podcast is out. So March 8th of 2022, the price will go up after that. So make sure to, if you're listening at this time, you can uh, join today before the price goes up. But it's a really, really great experience, and I hope to see you there. MinnesotaGardening.com.